welcome to the Camden Fringe Pod, a podcast all about the Camden Fringe. Keep listening for a glimpse behind the curtains and to find out how you can get involved in, you guessed it, the Camden Fringe. Hello, I'm Zena. I'm Michelle. Welcome to the Camden Fringe podcast. We have an interview coming up very shortly. It's a, it's a long interview, so we're going to keep the introduction tight today. Long, but very, very good. Really good. We have a few little news items to impart before we get onto the interview. News item one. Uh, we have 50 shows on sale. 50? 50, five zero. So we're getting there. Oh my God. News item two. We've got some new venues on board. What are they? They are Cecil Sharp House. Ooh. They are the Queer Comedy Club. Ooh. And they are the London Irish Centre. Get your applications into them today. News item three, not unrelated. We've set, We've a, set deadline. a deadline. It's the 19th of May. It's not a deadline to apply, but it's a deadline to register your show, get all your details finalised if you want to be included in our optional printed brochure. 19th of May. You can still take part if you're not done by the 19th of May, but you won't be included in the printed brochure. Any questions, send us an email to camdenfringe at gmail.com. Right, let's crack on with this cracking interview. Hi, we are here with Alice and Annie from SICK. Would you be able to introduce yourselves, please? Do you want to start, Alice? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my name's Alice. I'm COO and co-founder of SICK. Um, we're an organisation that works to close the disability employment gap and improve access and inclusion um, in all aspects of life, really. And Annie? Hi, I'm Annie Chadwick. Uh, I'm a theatre maker and workshop facilitator and I'm also creative lead at SICK and I've been working with SICK since uh, the beginning. <laughs> and you have also done a Camden Fringe show in the past. I have, yes. In 2019, I did uh, a play called Extra Time. It was a one-person show at Camden People's Theatre. So you know what you're talking about. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> when you first approached us about accessibility my kind of immediate thought and I think a lot of people's is you can mm -hmm. go oh can you get in the venue with a wheelchair um, and that's kind of as basic as it gets really there's a lot more to access and inclusivity than just kind of having a ramp outside can you explain to us what you mean by access and inclusivity um, when it comes to mm -hmm. theatre yeah so with regards to access and inclusion um, absolutely there is that stereotype that it's a ramp and that's also part of the stereotype that, you know, disabled people are people that are in wheelchairs, whereas actually um, we look at disability from a, a wide range of perspectives. So down to chronic illness, things like chronic fatigue, thinking about people who might have um, sensory overload, they might be neurodiverse, um, they might suffer from poor mental health. So we really look at access and inclusion as a whole. So there are things that you can do to engage 
wider audiences that are not just simply getting into the venue i mean obviously it would be fantastic if everybody could get into every theater but we absolutely recognize that these tend to be historic buildings um, and especially with fringes you know a lot of venues are pubs or they're upstairs and they might be a listed building so it becomes kind of impossible um, so it's about thinking about other ways of, of being inclusive so that could be thinking about just doing one thing um, such as having a quiet performance for people who are neurodiverse having a BSL interpreter um, or integrating creative access in some way so for example that might be thinking about your art along the lines of a podcast um, or a radio play where actually a lot of the description comes directly into um, the narrative and comes directly into the script. So sometimes it's actually a really good idea to literally listen to your script and see, can you visualise what is actually going on? Um, And then talking about that as well it's a really good idea to showcase to the disabled community what you're doing and who you're engaging with and that doesn't necessarily need to mean that you're doing everything for everyone and we absolutely don't expect that it's about showing what you can do that's you know a really low cost or no cost solution to making your art more accessible to more people no cost solutions are our favorite <laughs> yeah well i think they're everyone's favorite right and i think as well people always have that initial thought of oh well you know if i want to create a fully accessible piece of theater i'm going to have to buy a ramp i'm going to have to pay bsl i'm going to have to pay for live captioning yes in an ideal world but that's what <laughs> realistically like the big theatres should be doing and they're not even there yet so as a you know independent theatre maker it's about thinking about how can I be a bit more creative with the ways that I'm engaging with new audiences um, and how can I do that for free because you can you might not tick every box but other massive theatres don't do that so there shouldn't be that pressure Could you give us one example maybe of one simple thing that say if I was doing a stand-up show in a room above a pub and I wanted to think about this, what could I do? What would be like a simple quick win? For example, um, you could do an accessibility rider, which is literally a piece of paper that's available to download. Say, for example, somebody's booking on a, a site there might be something in the description which is literally like download this PDF accessibility rider and that will literally say okay there are x number of stairs up to the venue all of the audience members are going to be seated here are some trigger warnings for example and there could even be like literally recorded on your phone a short video that you've done on something like Vimeo which literally shows somebody the journey from the front door to the venue. So say, for example, um, you suffer from chronic fatigue, up a few stairs could be 20 stairs or it could be three. And actually knowing that and knowing what to expect 
could be a really simple way of engaging with somebody who has chronic fatigue, somebody who's neurodiverse and doesn't like going into unexpected situations or somebody with anxiety that's worried about, you know, how many people are going to be there? Am I going to have to stand? Like all of those things. It's simple. It's free. Super easy to do. And, you know, it's a really good way of engaging. And also with something like stand up, there is no visual. And it's really worth emphasising that, that actually, you know, you could be listening to comedy and still engage with it just as much. I was just going to add to that just in terms of another quick win, a low cost win um, with something like a stand up show or a one person show or to be honest, any show um, in a fringe venue is just having um, getting rid of your no latecomers, um, no readmittance policy, because often I think people think about disability access barriers equating to people who identify as disabled. But actually, lots of people have access needs who don't necessarily identify as disabled. So if you're someone who, for example, needs to use the toilet um, frequently, maybe you're pregnant, maybe you have stomach troubles. For me, if I go to a play and, and it says there's no readmittance policy, that immediately gives me some sort of bubbling level of anxiety because I know that I'm either going to have to sit through the rest of the play being uncomfortable or I'm just not going to go. Um, so that for me is just a really, really quick, easy way to make your uh, show accessible to everyone. I think different types of performances obviously lend themselves differently to so stand up as yes. you're saying it is an, mainly an audio medium so that would be, mm-hmm. that's fine but things like physical theater that's obviously going to be mm-hmm. difficult to make that accessible to people with sight issues um marcel marceau for example he's fine for <laughs> people with hearing impairment but yeah it's it obviously kind of got to think about what your show will lend itself to and that's the thing you know it's not a you have to do everything like we were talking to somebody that was creating the improv show and I said immediately I was like well improv is absolutely perfect for visual impairments because actually you are literally describing a situation and then throwing yourselves into it Um, and you might even be picking situations from an audience and actually as an audio experience that's really strong whereas on the other side of that um something like a more physical performance that doesn't necessarily have any um audio could also really lend itself to somebody that experiences sensory overload because actually having you know lots and lots of things going on can be really really overwhelming but in that situation, obviously, things like flashing lights, you really need to flag any um, loud noises, you really need to flag. Um, and also things like use of like smoke machines, for example, like I have a lot of respiratory issues. And um, there's like nothing worse for me than being in a venue and suddenly there's like a ton of smoke everywhere. And I just feel utterly horrendous but similarly there's that huge kind of sensory um, element to that so it's around flagging and knowing what different people's triggers are going to be because everybody's different everybody's got lots of different triggers but by talking about them and preparing people for them it means that you can really kind of open up your audience because yes some people are going to look at your access and they'll go okay, no, that's not for me. But actually a lot of people will go, you know what? 
I probably didn't think about whether or not this is accessible for me or not. But actually reading through this, everything is accessible for me. And I will attend when I've previously not known, had that fear of the unknown. So therefore, you know, not bought a ticket because of, because of that fear. Much better to know in advance so you don't turn up and then you're unable to mm-hmm. get into something that you had hoped to go to. Because yeah. that's just distressing, isn't it? Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, there's nothing worse than turning up and, you know, suddenly being faced with loads of stairs, for example, and realising I actually can't access that. And then it's so stressful for the creative team who, especially at fringe events, are often, you know, managing so many different elements they're about to go and perform and actually they've got this really distressed audience member. So it's it's all around that, actually. The more open and transparent you can be, the better. Obviously, lots of things quite easy to do yourselves, say making audio described flyers, for example, or descriptions of the venue. Things like BSL are probably a bit more complicated if you don't know BSL yourself. Is there like a resource where you can find sign language interpreters? The best organisation to go to is the National Register of Communication Professionals Working with Deaf and Deafblind People, which is the NRCPD. Um, And what's really good about that is you can literally search by postcode. With each person, you can understand their availability in terms of whether they only work evenings, for example. And you can actually understand the types of sign language that they will do. So some signers are much more comfortable in like a comedy or a musical performance, for example, because it's a completely different style of sign language, whereas others are more comfortable in that kind of like very formal like business setting. So, you know, some people do both and they're brilliant at both, but actually it's worth knowing what that style is in advance. Um, but that's basically got the, the registered BSL um, professionals in your area. And, you know, some people might decide to, yeah, absolutely kind of engage them within the creative process. Um, But it's also worth knowing that with BSL, there are restrictions. There are things that don't necessarily land. So with comedy, for example, there might be a joke about somebody's accent. Well, if you're a BSL professional, that's nearly impossible to do and actually yesterday I was talking to two BSL interpreters who um, were doing a comedy show with Lost Voice Guy from Britain's Got Talent and they were saying you know there were loads of jokes about the fact that their computerized voice sounds like Stephen Hawking and they were saying you know from an interpreter's point of view that is a really difficult nuance to get across and there aren't like puns don't exist in British Sign Language. So they have to really kind of bring their personality and expressions to it in order for it to to fully make sense. So there's a real talent to being good at doing it. It is amazing. I mean, I always find whenever I'm at anything that's got BSL, I'm always drawn to the BSL. Like, I always find it amazing, you know, when you see like a rapper like doing Glastonbury or whatever and there'll be a BSL person and they are like absolutely like going for it and you're like wow like that's amazing yeah I mean it's it is a skill like it is an amazing skill but yeah I think 
integrated sign is is also a really clever way of drawing people in who have no concept or understanding of the bsl itself by having both of them sort of together so there was a play for example which i'm sure annie can talk about in a lot more detail where the two main characters one was deaf and communicated with bsl and the other was then speaking responses um and within that script they were basically being able to share exactly what the other person had said and it's a really clever way of like integrating that into your creative process and being really creative and fun with it because I don't understand BSL but I find it really like engaging like I I love kind of watching um, BSL interpreters at work I just quite often it will distract me from from what's going on in the in the main point but um yeah I think I think it is it is brilliant um and it's such a skill uh, what Alice is referring to is Lee's Playhouse's production of Much Ado About Nothing uh, they also did it in collaboration with uh, Ramps on the Moon and Sheffield Theatres and just as an FYI I would highly recommend checking out all of Leeds Playhouse's work, Ramps on the Moon and Sheffield Theatres. They really value access as a priority, as something from the first step, not um, as a later stage. And they come up with these amazing, creative, innovative ways to make a show integrated, accessible. So, yes, the character of a hero, um, I think it was, was deaf in the world of the play. So her friend Marjorie interpreted for her for the other speaking characters so that Hera could understand which means that the deaf or hard of hearing people in the audience can understand and then when Hero is signing to Marjorie Marjorie then speaks those words so the people who don't need sign language can understand so it's just it's a win-win situation Um, and I think it's just such a clever way of getting over that Um, I don't love calling them barriers or like problems but it is a way of kind of finding a solution to that where everyone um, or more people can enjoy the same thing at the same time and getting rid of this segregated um, idea of you know this is the day where people who need BSL come to watch the show this is the day where people who are visually impaired come to watch the show and then everyone else can just come whenever that's actually very discriminatory and yeah so this show is a very prime example of how we can overcome that there's a few other plays that Leeds Playhouse, Sheffield Theatres and Ramps on the Moon have done that have done a similar thing. Lord of the Flies is on at Leeds Playhouse at the minute and I am pretty sure they're using integrated sign um, and creative audio description. So that's really exciting. Would recommend. Maybe we should have a trip. Maybe so, yeah. It is really good to see how things like that are like creeping into, you know, TV as well. Like everybody always uses the example of strictly when rose was paired with giovanni like how exciting that was that she was kind of bringing bsl to dance and obviously they integrated that into their performance and i think it's amazing that that was something on you know prime time saturday night tv and i think it shows that there is that shift and i also think if you are a creative kind of early on in your career when you're pitching to theatres, when you're pitching to festivals, showing some understanding or, um, you know, seeking, for example, Arts Council funding and saying, you know what, I want to create this and I want to create it so that it's accessible. That's something that 
um, funders and theatres are really excited about and I'm really looking for. I know from Leeds Playhouse's point of view that it is something that is a huge tick for them when they get pitches through. So in terms of that career progression, I think it's something we're going to see more and more, not just on TV, but in the theatre, in the arts, in dance. I think um, it's it's an exciting time. So as well as Leeds Playhouse, you've done some work with Vaults Festival, haven't you? Which is probably mm-hmm. more on the level of the people um, we're pitching Camden Fringe to. Have you got any examples of what happened at Vault this year to promote inclusivity? Yeah, so quite a lot of the Vaults artists ended up engaging with um, disabled artists and bringing them in to their theatre um, and then bringing in those elements such as BSL, um, such as having accessibility riders. That was like the big one that I think everybody kind of took away from the work that we were doing uh, with Vaults Festival because it's such an easy win. Like it takes so little time and it's so easy to to do um but yeah there was definitely a lot of kind of bringing in disabled artists within their work and one thing that that we did so one of our the case studies that we brought in was all around that access being not just to the audience but thinking about access from the point of view of an artist that you're engaging with and creating access like within the rehearsal room and creating like a really safe space because that's that's another thing that that's really uh useful to consider so as well there was quite a lot of actions that were taken away in terms of actually how can i create a safe um space that is diverse that is inclusive from the very beginning like from the creation and the rehearsals We also saw that some companies had included relaxed performances, which was a really nice thing to see. I think especially with fringe runs, you can often have quite a short run. Um, So perhaps from the artist's point of view, you might want to kind of save those, cherish those. But actually, it was really, really great to see that um, a show, I think they only had about five nights and one of them was a relaxed performance. And again, that just shows to your potential audience who might need that relaxed performance that shows that you value them and that shows that you care about them seeing your work so um what exactly is meant by relaxed performance so it can really vary but generally speaking the lights probably won't be down low you won't be seated directly next to people there will be lots of space you're allowed to leave you can come back you can stand up you can sit down you can make noise again it does vary relaxed performances can sometimes mean uh, dementia friendly performances sometimes they can mean neurodiverse friendly sometimes they can mean a parent and child maybe Alice you can add to this but for me I understand it as just kind of stripping back that very British theatre etiquette which can be quite suffocating for you know most people so it's just kind of relaxing the pressure and just being like this is the play enjoy it (laughs) and we'll see you at the end yeah so for example I've seen some performances where they've they've taken out some of the chairs and replaced them with you know cushions bean bags and it's very much just creating a space where people can can move around a little bit more so 
from a disability perspective, that tends to be really, really beneficial to people that are neurodiverse. They don't like the contrast of the light and the dark. They might prefer sitting or lying down. But also, it's a really good experience for people that potentially experience chronic pain, where being sort of sat down for, say, two hours is actually a really quite painful experience. So being able to literally, you know, stand up, stretch, sit back down can be incredibly beneficial. Um, So there are lots and lots of different ways that you can do it. And again, what I would recommend is always saying exactly what you're going to do ahead of time so people know if that's the right relaxed performance for them. But it can be a really good way of actually thinking about theatre in a slightly different way. It's a bit more like experiencing theatre or performance in the round. It might um, mean that, you know, the audience are, are in slightly different places. But obviously it's also, you know, from an access point of view, again, think about the performers as well. Um, So I have ADHD and I find that kind of thing incredibly distracting. I'm a very easily distracted person. So obviously, if I were one of the performers, there would at least have to be some measures in place to support me. So, you know, you need to think about it from from both elements. Um, Maybe it's just providing a slightly more comfortable, spaced out um, situation to, you know, accommodate me, for example, as an artist. So... It can be really varied, but it's really important to think about your cast and crew in in that as well. You're going to be running some workshops for us on three Thursdays in April. They're going to be um, online so people can join from wherever they are. Can you explain a bit about what the three workshops are going to be about and what the themes and what they'll cover? Because obviously we could have talked for hours here about this all this <laughs> stuff. Yeah, We will cover all of this in the workshops if people would like to join us there. Yes, so um, the first one we will be doing is going to be on Thursday, the 6th of April. We're going to offer them at two times on all the Thursdays. So there's one at half 11 in the morning until 1pm. There's one at at 7pm until half eight in the evening. So there's something for everyone. No excuses. Um, And the first one will be all around creative access. Um, We'll be looking at best example uh, practice. Um, And then looking at practically how we can apply some of that thinking to our own theatre making practice. The second one we're going to offer is neurodiversity in theatre. What the situation looks like, uh, current access barriers for neurodiverse people, uh, audiences and artists. And then again, looking at practical solutions to that. And then the third one is all about making accessible theatre in inaccessible venues. So that is going to be all around Thinking outside the box, uh, if your venue that you've got booked for your fringe show um, has a lot of stairs, it's very small. Thinking about, like we talked about at the beginning of, of the podcast, the transparency, the new ways that you can make something accessible, live streaming, uh, which we talk a bit more about. So the Neurodiverse one is happening on Thursday, the 13th of April and inaccessible venues on the 20th of April. Brilliant. So if people want to book from that, and we, we should say... Um... We're aiming them at Camden Fringe performers, but if anyone happens to be listening to this that isn't booked in to do the Camden Fringe this year, but is maybe thinking about it in the future, or you know, it's just interesting putting on theatre in general, then they are also welcome to um, come along. We've put the links on social media, and we'll continue to do so. So anyone can book in for that. We'll ask, we'll add a link to the um, podcast description as well. Thank you so much. That was so interesting.
Thank you. Thank you, guys. Yeah, a lot for us to think about as well. We're trying to improve stuff on our website at the moment. We're all on a learning curve here. Um, so it's really useful to to speak to you. And hopefully it's given lots of people lots of different ideas. Well, thanks for having us. Yeah.